0: Well, oh, good morning, boy! Last week was a good week. It was great to have Easter. It was great to have so many people in the building. That was certainly from the last year the highest number of folks that we've had back in the building uh, on any given Sunday. And not that these—I mean, not that these things matter—but if you're tracking kind of watched online with what's in the building. It basically was just like the Easter before, 100, like 100 less. So I mean, that's a really encouraging sign for us as a church. As I've told you before, so many people early on predicted that the demise of the church was at hand, and that's just simply not true. Not the demise of this church anyway, I pray to God uh, that he will continue to sustain us. Um, we also started Wednesday nights last week which we haven't had in regularity. We've had a few, but haven't had in regularity in a long time. And, you know, some people have asked, why did you start Wednesday nights with, you know, just a couple of weeks, you know, eight weeks or so left? Well, it's because, you know, you kind of want to get over the bump, right? And, and it's just a little like, oh, we got to start back. So we do it now, not in the fall. So hopefully when you get into the fall, we're ready to go. And we had a great pastor's Bible study, women's Bible study, men's Bible study. I think more than mom's. Merge, Awana, Midweek. I mean, it's just good. And and if, if you wanna be a part of that, you just come on. It's not too late to start and be part of that. It's exciting times for us to be in that. Now, last week we were in Ephesians chapter one. This week we're in Ephesians chapter two. Some of you are like, thank God, finally out of chapter one, you know? Uh, but But we're gonna be here for a while. And I find it interesting as we look at Ephesians chapter two that the apostle really today is outlining what's the problem. That, that's the title of the message today, the problem. And you would think that maybe he's a little bit out of order in how he's doing this because he's really spent the entirety of chapter one talking about all the things that are ours in Christ to claim, but now he's going to tell you, and here's why you need it. And so it's an interesting way for us to frame that. We're going to look at the first three verses, and as we did in the first service, I think that this message is actually going to stretch into next week as well because there's some stuff at the end of it that we don't just wanna run past. We really wanna spend some time talking about, and we we just weren't able to finish that in the first service. So I'll kinda give you that disclaimer now that this may be two parts. But verse one of chapter two, the book of Ephesians. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Now, if you remember our text from last week, he basically spent the entire kind of last part of chapter one talking about the power of God on display for us and how it was demonstrated. God's power is toward us, he said. This is a blessing for us. And he wants us to know what that is. And then he says, oh, by the way, it was demonstrated for you on the cross and at the resurrection. And when you see it and you see it clearly, it gives you this picture of how great God is and how awesome he is. And he's giving us now a glimpse back. What he's saying is, and I think this is very important for the church. He's speaking to the church and he's saying, you didn't start here. Well, where did we start? Dead. You started dead. So this morning, I'm speaking to everyone in the room who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we started. This is who we were. And what the apostle, I think, is subtly doing is trying to let us see for those who are not in Christ, he's speaking to those of us who are in Christ, But if you're not a Christian this morning, he's outlining the universal problem for everyone. And so as I rail against the church people, you just sit right along and kinda listen because he's talking about you too, okay? But what he wants us to do as believers, I think, is he's gonna give us something that will equip us to see not only how we were, but he's also gonna show us what's wrong with the world today and why it's so hard for people to understand what we're talking about when we try to present the gospel why the world seems messed up, and he's gonna give you the answer to all of that. And then I think what's so great about chapter two is that Ephesians chapter two and chapter six, if you've ever read any of these uh, books of the Bible, Ephesians in particular, chapter two and chapter six are probably the ones that come to mind. It's by grace you've been saved. It's a gift of, of God. And we think about the armor of God in chapter six. So this is kind of right in the wheelhouse, kind of the thrust of the message for us of the book of Ephesians, and he's talking about us going from dead people to alive people. So, as we look at this, I think we have to understand that to feel good, you actually have to confront how bad things were, and then that makes you feel really good about where you're at today. So, let's look at this, and let's read verse 1 again from Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll just kind of break it down into these two parts. He starts by saying you were dead. And that's the original problem that we have. If you wanna kind of frame what's going on in the world today, we call it original sin and how that's affected everything. Now this is important for you to understand because the Bible says that we were born in Adam in sin. And that's a great debate that takes place in the world today. What's sad is that it often takes place in the church today too and we don't fully understand this. And because we don't understand it, we think incorrectly about it, and that obviously shows up downstream in how we put that knowledge to use and start living our lives. A lot of people think the answer is, is this nature versus nurture? And that's wrong thinking. And the wrong thinking kind of manifests itself with people who say, well, we were born basically good, and it's society that corrupts us. And if we can make society better, then people would be better. And, and we kind of, kind of look at it that way, but the Bible says that's not true. There's none who were ever good, none who seeks God, none who's righteous. It says that we were born into sin. And because of that, it says that we were messed up from the beginning. Now, if you don't believe that, you might think that there are some ways that we could get around that. For instance, you hear a lot of people today, they really believe that the answer to everything that is ailing the world comes down to two things. If we could get education right and we could get poverty right, then everything would be solved in our world. Now, before you go, well, that ain't true and let's rail against that. Hold on just a second. Education is really important. And believers ought to give their best to education. And we ought to make great schools in our city and and great Christian schools. And if you're homeschooling, it better be great. Great. You know, I mean, that, that's, this is important. It's not something to kind of flippantly say, well, well, schooling is not important. No, it is important. It's important because learning to think is important, isn't it? So we don't just say that that's not important, but we don't say it's the answer. Neither do we say that if we alleviated poverty, that that would be the answer. It's not. You see, we need to be concerned about poverty. Didn't the Bible say, didn't Jesus say, whenever you offer a cup of cold water, in my name, what have you done? You've done it to me. So when you, when you treat the least of these as if they're important like Christ, you're doing something that's in line with the kingdom, it's not separated from the kingdom, but it's not the answer to what's ailing the world today. If we put all of our efforts into poverty and education, you know what we're gonna end up with? Educated, wealthy sinners. That's what happens. They're just smarter, And they have a little bit more money to spend while they go have fun at Las Vegas. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it it, it doesn't work. That's ultimately not the answer because it's not getting to the heart of the matter that fixes the answer because you have to understand we were born dead. Now, this is hard for us to imagine because people don't seem dead. I mean, check your pulse for a minute. You don't seem dead this morning. You seem very much alive to me. And as we see people in life, it's very easy for them to kind of masquerade that they're living the best. They may have good jobs, they may have good families, they may be moral, they may be raising good children, productive members of society, all of those things. And yet the scripture says that we are born dead. And, and I think about it like this, a dead person can't do anything. I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was growing up, there was a man in our church who had grown up in a family that owned funeral homes. And they were constantly, as a kind of a young teenager, making him take more responsibility and do things in the funeral homes. And the one thing that he didn't wanna do was do what funeral homes have to do, and that's go pick up a body and bring it back for the mortician to, to embalm. He, he never wanted to be on that ride. And his dad kept saying, you, you gotta learn the business, you need to go on the ride, and you need to do this. Well, his dad cooked it up. You know where this is going, right? <laughs> cooked it up with some guys that were picking up the body. He's riding and they pick up the body, put in the back and they're riding and they had it all planned out. And they took the dead man's hand and threw it over in his lap. Whoa. Next stoplight. It didn't matter that he knew that guy was dead. He was gone. (laughs) Opened the door and ran out. Right. But, but but we know, like I've been around death a lot. It's part of the job here. And you know, what's never happened. I've never gone to where someone had died and I'm talking with the family and somebody said, one more thing, pastor never happened. You know why? Because dead people can't do anything. They're incapable of doing anything. And it may not seem like they're dead, but the scripture says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Our hearts are dead to the things of God. And so when it says that, this is important. It's a little bit like receiving a defective car. You may get a car that already has a factory recall on it. It's already messed up. It'll drive, sometimes it'll stop. You know, I mean, it, it does things, but, but it's not proper. It's not working. It has a flaw inside of it that has to be corrected. And, and the scripture says that that's where we were. We come out of, of the womb, David says, in, in iniquity, I was conceived. I mean, th- this is the, what the psalmist says to us, is that we're born into sin. And because there's none that seeks God and no one that's righteous, what happens is it's a work of the Holy Spirit that any of us are ever saved. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is constantly working to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Are you tired of me saying that? I say that all the time to you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And he's working today. He's doing his job today, convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when that happens, the Bible says that we come alive to Christ. We come alive to God through Christ and we're saved. It's a work Of God, And so then he says, it's not just that we're dead, he's gonna outline for us, well, what is this original sin? And he uses two words that are similar and they encompass some of the same things, but the shades of their meaning are pretty important for us to understand. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, when you think about trespassing, you know exactly where I'm going with this. There's a sign and it says, no trespassing. I always marvel at those because I think to myself, I'm not interested in coming across the line. Like you have nothing that I want to see. Have you ever noticed that? It's never a house that you want to go see, you know? No trespassing. (laughs) Okay, I'll just keep walking. But what is it? A trespass is a misstep or a crossing of a boundary line. That's a trespass. So you might think of it like this. There's things in God's word that he says, I don't want you to cross this line. And before we were in Christ, here's what we do. Huh? I'm gonna find out for myself. I think I'm just gonna step across this thing, I'm good. I want to do this, I don't care what God says, I'm going to commit this sin, it's a sin of commission. I'm going to do this, and it doesn't matter that God has said don't do it, I'm gonna live my life however I wanna live it, doesn't matter what you say, I'm just going to do it, that's a trespass. A sin is when we fall short, it's missing the mark. So we could kinda look at it like this today. It, you know my, my illustration about Romans three twenty three. It's like us standing at the base of Mount Everest. And the test is, can we throw a rock over the top of it? Well, I grab Kevin over here and I say, Kevin, let's see if you can beat me. And he does, he throws it 100 feet. And I throw my rock 70 feet. And then to make myself feel good, I grab somebody who's maybe a little bit older than me and I say, throw your rock, and he goes 40 feet or something, right? I say, yes, well, Kevin was better than me and I was better than you, but that's not how it works. Because what did we do? We all failed. We didn't throw the rock over the top, we missed the mark. If the goal was for us to do that, that was what we were supposed to do, and we couldn't do it. So what he's saying here is it's a failure in our lives. And one pastor said it like this. When, when you read this verse, are you ready for this? Here's what the scripture says about you. You were a rebel and a failure before you met Jesus. A rebel and a failure. So it encompasses sins of commission and sins of omission. Like, I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that was sin. How many of you, and, and I want you to be honest, how many of you in the last year have read something in the Bible where you thought, I didn't know that. I better get that in line. That happens to me all the time. I'll be thinking about and the, the Spirit of God will say, I'm speaking to you about this. Ooh, okay. I hadn't thought about it like that. That's a sin of omission, right? I need to do it. Or I forgot. Have you ever forgotten anything? Yes, you have. (laughs) I meant to do it. I was sure gonna do it. Mm. I didn't do it. I forgot. I wanted to do it. And what happens is, the scripture says about us that we're rebels and we're failures. I crossed the line. I couldn't throw the rock over the mountain. I couldn't make it happen. And that's who we were, dead in our trespasses and sins. We were just surrounded by this stuff and wallowing in it. And the scripture says, because of that, we were dead to the things of God. Now, why would he do this for us? Well, what he's trying to get us to see is, listen, This is some sweet stuff that I've been giving you in chapter one. Can we recap for just a second? All the blessings that are ours in Christ from chapter one. He says, first of all, God chose us. Aren't you glad you're chosen? Then he says, God predestined you to be adopted. Aren't you glad he didn't just say, well, I'm going to save you, but you're not really part of the family. No, you're in all the way. Then it says that he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ to the praise of his glory, that we would have redemption. Aren't you glad you've been redeemed? Redeemed. I love to proclaim it, I'm redeemed. I've been bought back with the blood of Christ. Then he says that we have forgiveness for our trespasses. Aren't you grateful that he did that? Then he says it was God's good pleasure that he purposed in Christ to reveal the plan for us at the right time. That's the Messiah, that's a blessing for us. Then he said we received an inheritance because we were predestined. Then he said that we also, when we heard the truth, that we got the gospel of salvation, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he's saying to us, listen, All this stuff is yours now, but this was not you. You were dead, makes it sweet, makes it wonderful. When you really realize this is what was going on in my life. I was dead to the things of God and now by God's grace, I've been made alive in Christ to God the Father. But he's gonna tell us something about how the world operates and how we used to operate, and he's going to use some language that will sound familiar to us. Can we look at verse two and verse three? Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air of the spirit, now working within the disobedience, he says we too also previously lived in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under the wrath. Do you remember that we studied this in chapter one? There was some you and we conversation that was taking place. Do you remember what that was about? So when he says you, he's talking to Gentiles. That's us. Everybody that's not a Jew, that's that's us. And he says, but we too, the Jews too. He's saying everybody, this was us. This is how we used to live. Now this is important because he's gonna say this is how you lived, this is how you walked. In other words, what he means is this is how you behaved. This is how you conducted the affairs of your life, the business of your life. And he's gonna tell us how we were influenced by three great powers in our lives. And notice that I'm saying how we were because that's how it should be for the believer. We should be not influenced by these things. We ought to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But we were influenced by these things. And if we understand it, it gives us some great insight for when temptation's coming to us. We can say, oh, wait, wait just a second. I see that influence again in my life, and I need to step back. I shouldn't have this influence in my life. But it also lets us see why we don't understand why the world is going crazy sometimes. And we're like, well, what is happening here? Why can't people figure it out? Why, why can't they see this? And he says, it's because they're under the influence of three things. Notice the first one in verse two. He says, you were under influence of the ways of the world. And what he's talking about there is the thinking of the world, the thought patterns of the world. If I could describe it for you, it's like this. It's like drifting along with society uh, and culture. And you don't realize that society and culture are swaying you over here. And then they push you over here. And then they sway you back over here. And, and I could give you just, an, a, for instance, over the last year, you've seen this on display all over the country in different places. And here's what I mean. Uh, over the last year, we've seen riots that have been in every city. We've seen them at the Capitol, all those kind of things. And you know what happens in mob mentality? I believe so many of those people that were at riots showed up for peaceful protest. They showed up not thinking, I'm just here. And then the next thing you know, you got a rock in your hand. What's going on? That's mob mentality, isn't it? If you've ever been in a big crowd and been swept along by that, you know what I'm talking about. It is scary. Well, what he's talking about, that's exactly what happens in the world. There's a mob mentality from the culture that pushes us and says, no, this is the issue. And here's what's happening. Think about this for a second. The world, media, pop icons, culture icons, leaders and influencers, here's what they say. This is the issue of the day. It is the issue. You gotta follow after it. Well, it was different than the one that was last year. It'll be different than the one that's next year because it goes all over the place because it has no moral uh, kind of binding or bearing in itself. It, it's, it's not grounded. And so it, it pushes you over here and it pushes you over here. And this mentality starts to take place and it influences everything. Can I give you a for instance of how this works? My entire life, I have been told that I am backwards and pitiful because I believe in creation. I've been told that. And I've been told from the time I entered school that I needed to understand the theory of evolution. Well, that has changed now, and we're told theories are true. Hmm. I have some theories. I'm afraid to tell them to you because I'm afraid that most of you suspect that I might be crazy, and if I shared my theories with you, it would confirm it, right? Theory of evolution. And I'm, I'm told you must be in conformity with this. You must be in conformity with this. But now look what science is doing. Now, we're scientists, and we're gonna set aside everything we know about gender. Wait, what? Well, which one is it? Is science absolute or is it not? Or, or does it just go wherever the wind blows? See, science has a method, doesn't it? I mean, you were taught the scientific method. You state your theory, you test it, you evaluate it, you take those conclusions and you, you, you do it again. And I mean, there, there's a, a way to do it. This isn't bagging on science. Science is right, science is good. It ought to be, but what you can't do It's not understand that there are presuppositions that come with every experiment that we're trying. And when the culture's dictating what that is, you can't say you must absolutely believe it here as a Christian. You must believe in the theory of evolution, but you must not believe it when it comes to gender. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. That's world thinking. That's the pattern of the world because they can't think. They're, They're swept away. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. You were influenced by the pattern of the world. But are you now? So many times, I think that believers don't understand being a Christian, once you're saved, it is at one point the ending point, right, of sin and and death, but it's just the beginning point of so much else in our lives. And and Christianity is not just based on an emotional experience. An emotional experience might get you in the door, but all of a sudden you have to engage your brain every day and you have to look at the patterns of world thinking and go, okay, why isn't that right? Well, it's not right. And here's how you can start to deduce these things is that you look at it and you cannot build a lie except from the truth. So a lie must be predicated on the truth. It has to start with the truth and distort it. So you have to engage the brain all of the time. And I think we don't even realize this because we don't realize, are you ready for this? There's an agenda even in our country on the right and one on the left and neither one are right. It's not God's agenda. Now I'm gonna step right over here. I can't tell you how many times people have told me over the last year, that if I just watched or listened to the right kind of news, it's good news. That's what we need. Do you, do you not realize that they all have their own agenda? And if you're, not, if you're not awake to this, if you don't see it, world patterns are conservative, world patterns are liberal, world patterns are in the middle. You have to ask yourself this question, What's the author of this news story trying to communicate to me besides the facts? Because everybody has an agenda. Everybody has something they're bringing to it. And it's both sides. I'm, not, I'm picking on all your news. How about that? All of it. It all has an agenda. It's good news that allows us to be set free from that. And if we don't understand that, then what starts to happen is you're swayed by that. And, and listen, listen, We ought to be concerned with things, I just mentioned like science. We ought to be concerned with things like poverty. We ought to be concerned with things like education. Those are critical things in our lives. We absolutely must be concerned with them. But if you have been so concerned with that, that when you have lunch with your friends, you're too concerned with that to meet the need of the waitress that comes so that you don't even share the gospel because you're too busy talking about what somebody in the state house, the mayor's house, the White House, your house, whoever's house, you're missing something. That's not why you're here. It's good news. No one will be changed by watching your news station. No one, that's a pattern of thought from the world. Read it with a critical eye for crying out loud. We're being swept, and it's in the church, folks, all over the place. No. We're not to be following the patterns of the world. Then he gets to the second one. And I think this is so important that we see this because the second one, as he talks about it to us, actually dupes us in the first one. Patterns of the world, according to the ways of the world. Then he says in verse two, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. Obedient. Who do you think he's talking about there? It's the devil. Do you believe in the devil? I hope you do. I think the devil wants us to underestimate him at all costs. So this is where we were. It's not where we're supposed to be. But can I tell you the danger for us as believers when you underestimate your adversary in a fight, you're ready to get knocked out. I'm, I'm not afraid of the devil, but I wanna be cautious of the devil. I'm not afraid to grab an electrical plug and plug it in, but I won't be standing in three feet of water either. You know what I mean? I wanna be cautious about that. And if we underestimate our adversary, who the scripture says is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, If you think of him as the cartoon character with a pitchfork and the pointy tail, he's very happy with you right now. Why? Because if you don't think it's real, if you think it's no big deal, then it makes everything that could be evil in your life a game, like a Ouija board. What's the harm in that, Pastor? It's just a game. Right? Just a game. What's the harm with me watching this movie, Pastor? It's... I'm a believer, I can filter that out. hmm. Keep underestimating the adversary. Not afraid of him, but the scripture says that he does some work. He works to kill, steal, and destroy. He darkens the minds of people, the scripture says, to make it hard for them to receive the gospel. He's working, he's active. The most shocking statement anyone ever made to me as a college student, we were studying the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not for harm, to give you hope and a future. I love that verse. We were studying that and somebody says, well, when are we ever gonna talk about the plans that the devil has for us? Hmm. He's powerful. The scripture never denies his power. In fact, if you look back at verse two, it said he's working according to the ruler of the power of the air. Do you remember that over the last two weeks we talked about power and energy and how there was potential power that God has And then it's been displayed. It's been made effective. And we use the illustration of water that sits behind a dam. It's potential power for energy, but it's really not, it's not being used for energy until it starts running through the turbines to make hydroelectric power, right? It starts turning those turbines that then starts sending out power. And we talked about how that's effective power. It's energy right there. It's the same exact word, same word. If you think for a minute that Satan's not powerful enough to kill, steal, or destroy, you've underestimated the adversary. And if you think it's a game, he's winning. He's winning. The Bible tells us to resist the devil. I don't have to fight the devil. It says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Jesus fights my battles. He does that for us. But the Bible says that we're to be on the lookout for the schemes of the devil, right? To be to be cognizant of those things, to understand that whatever the plan of God is for my life, his job is to try to derail that. That's what he wants to do. And if you think he's not powerful, you look at the lives of people in your your, your life who have been destroyed by his power, wrecked by his power. Now, I'm gonna tell you something that ought to get an amen. Don't you miss this. It's coming. Ready? You ready? Here's your point. That same power, it says that he has power Any of us in the room can kill somebody, but there's only one that can raise somebody from the dead, and that's Jesus. He's raised from the dead, made us alive. God made him alive. There's the difference, right? He's powerful. He's really powerful, but he's not ultimately powerful. In fact, Jesus said this about, uh, and Paul said this about that. We looked at this last week. Jesus was raised from the dead far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come, and he subjected him to everything under his feet. So when we talk about that, that means Caesar, dictator, president, governor, mayor, devil, all of that. There's nothing that's not under the feet of Jesus, but the power is real. It might be time for us to ask ourselves the question, am I thinking like the world? Am I living under the influence and the power of the enemy? Has he infiltrated the camp? The third power, and we'll briefly mention this and then we'll try to finish it up next week. But the third power that we see is fleshly or, or our fleshly desires. In verse three, he says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. The Bible talks about desires. And it uses a word sometimes that we only equate with bad. And it's, it's mainly because we talk about it like this, you know, that Jesus said, don't lust after a woman in your heart. And when we talk about lust, we talk about an improper desire towards another female, right? That that would, that would be what that means. So, but the word is actually not negative or positive. It's, it's just desire. In fact, Jesus used the same word as he talked about, "I, I have desired to eat the last supper with you, this supper with you. I wanted to do this. I've desired for this time to be together. The difference is understanding what happens in desire. So today you're gonna have a desire if it's not already set upon you, I'm about to give it to you and that's to eat lunch. Right? You're gonna have the desire and and that's an important desire. You you should eat something, don't want you to be faint. Where that kind of gets out of whack is when that desire takes control of our lives And listen, there's a positive and negative to every kind of sin, isn't there? So it'd be the desire, I'm just gonna eat too much or I'm gonna restrict what I'm eating all the time and I'm just not gonna do this. No, food is good for the body. Too much of it, too little of it is wrong for the body. And that's a desire of the flesh overtaking something in our lives. If you wanna do a little homework this week, Galatians chapter five is where we really see the desires of the flesh and the mind and and what, what takes place. Come out, we'll look at that a little bit more next week. But this is important for us to understand the desires of the flesh and the mind. What starts to happen in our lives is that the enemy comes and he starts to tempt us with these things that are good. So, God gives us all of these things. God gives us, I mean, things that, that we know that we need to be mindful of. I mean, like we would say, uh, the desire for sleep, the desire for food, the desire for love or affection or physical intimacy. All those things are fine, Th- those are God given. There's nothing wrong with that obviously expressed in the way that God wants us to express them. He set parameters on all of those things. But what happened, the Bible says that when we were saved, the spirit wars against the flesh. And you remember what Paul says? You know, that there's these things in my life I don't want to do and I can't quit doing them. And there's things that I want to do and I can't find a way to do them. You know, I I say it like this, oftentimes, you know, if you're trying to do this on your own, you're you're ruined from the start. It's like when somebody says, like, I've decided I'm gonna work on patience this week good luck. You can't do it. That can only come from a work of the Spirit working inside of you to change you from the inside out. You can't do it because the flesh wars against the Spirit. And, and you can set in your mind, I'm, I'm tomorrow I'm going to be patient and I'll call you tomorrow and you're just angry. Angry at yourself, angry at your kids, angry at your job, impatient. I mean, just it's just the way that it is. That's the spirit and the flesh warring against one another. And, and so when he says the flesh and the mind, he's talking about those things that we might do with our bodies that would be sinful. That would be one thing. But he's also talking about a mindset that can sometimes go right along with that. And we talk about the mind It could cover things like pride and envy and jealousy and anger and all those things. So there's, again, acts and thoughts that lead to actions and all those things are, are becoming one for us. And so just like he did when he said there are trespasses and sins, there's times we step over the line and there's times we kind of just forget or we, or we miss the mark or whatever we tried and we didn't get there. He's saying here, your body and your mind kind of work together and you operate there. And when you operate not in the spirit, what happens is you're influenced by the body and mind to do what's right for you. Now, what's right for you, that's not the answer. It's what God has said what is right for you. It's very important that we understand that. If you've ever had the opportunity to read the Screwtape Letters, I think it gets to one of these, um, one of these kind of illustrations. It illustrates this maybe better than I could. The Screwtape Letters are about, it's a fictional book written by C.S. Lewis, written about a demon in training who is trying to mess with this guy, his charge, and the guy gets saved and it's like, well, hope's not lost. Now we're just gonna mess with him in a different way, right? And there's a section in there where it talks about gluttony. And he says, you know, it's not that he's gonna eat the most food. What we wanna do, because he probably won't do that. What we wanna do is to get him to eat the right kinds of food, choice foods. See, that's mind and flesh together. For years at my house, You know, my kids didn't appreciate what homemade ice cream was. And so we had a saying, we would make that homemade ice cream and we stick it in the back of the freezer and leave the briars in the front. And the reason is, is because you don't let the bottom feeders eat the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Now if you're wondering if you're a bottom feeder, if you go to a nice restaurant and order chicken fingers and fries, you are. Okay, it's just the way that it is. You're not sophisticated. You don't understand the nice stuff okay choice foods right Uh, understand like I I could have that but you know I don't like just a steak I have to right do you see it's mind and flesh working together it starts to mess with you and you don't realize it so let me see if I can put this quickly into just a little box that you can carry with you this week and open up when you get home you were dead because of original sin, born into sin. You were wicked, you were evil, even if you don't remember how wicked and evil you were. Beyond that, sin is when we rebel against the Lord or when we fail to meet his standards. And you were influenced by three great powers. One is the power of the world in which we live in, which is pushing us all over the place, left and right and up and down, forward and backwards. It it just moves us everywhere. And you're not exempt from it if you think you're on the right side, whatever that side is. You're not exempt. We're We're all pressed by this. We're influenced by the enemy who is powerful and is nothing to be trifled with. Resist him. And finally, look for those areas where flesh and mind meet to go into excess. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think for some of us, we don't realize that we've fallen right back into world thinking again. And we just dress it up with our Christianity, but really it's world thinking. The patterns of the world. Some of us are messing around with Satan as if he's you know, something that we can trifle with and it'd be okay. You're underestimating the adversary and he'll knock you down. And some of us are just gratifying the desires of the flesh all the time. Well, the scripture says that's who we were and all these other things are who we are, chapter one. Claim those things and leave behind the rest. If God speaks to you about something this morning, repent of it. In just a moment, we're gonna open our altars and maybe you just need to come and have a reset where you just say, Lord, I'm... My thinking has not been right. I've been trifling and messing with things and playing around with things that I shouldn't be. Or Lord, I'm fighting my flesh today. But you know, I've been speaking to the believers in the room, but if you're not in Christ, very subtly, the Apostle Paul just described you. You say, well, what's the remedy? It's Christ. It's just Jesus. Recognizing your wickedness. And you are wicked. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And asking God for mercy to save your soul, forgive you of your sins, and placing yourself under the lordship of Christ. Today would be the day of salvation for you, We'll have an invitation. And that just means it's a time of response. We're gonna stand. We're gonna sing a song all the way through. And you respond. If you wanna know more about following Christ, come tell me. I'll put you with somebody that'll explain the gospel to you. Maybe you're ready to receive Christ. Maybe today you're ready to make something right with Christ. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we pray now for those in the audience, our congregation, Lord watching at home, in the building. Father, we thank you that while we were dead, you raised us in Christ and that that power was on display. And we thank you that your power is greater than the power of the enemy. Greater are you It's in us, Lord, than he that's in the world. Father, sometimes we find ourselves getting wrapped up by the spirit of the age. Forgive us. When we've been more about anything that's troubling us and spent more time thinking about those things and talking about those things, we miss the gospel, Lord, and all of that. Forgive us. I pray that if we're under the influence today, you'd break those chains of bondage. And Father, we pray for those who are in the room today who don't know you that they would be saved today. Father, that today would be the day of salvation where they realize that they are dead in their trespasses and sins and in need of a savior. God, we thank you that you have made us alive in Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.